Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Judy Mullen Walters is a mom, a spouse, an essayist whose work has appeared in the Washington Post and elsewhere, and she's the author of five women's fiction novels, including the Amazon bestseller, The Opposite of Normal. Judy's latest book, called A Million Ordinary Days, is about a woman with multiple sclerosis who's trying to stay independent despite her growing reliance on caregivers. It's a setup that Judy is familiar with. For more than 16 years, she has been living with a chronic condition that, on occasion, requires others to care for her. That condition is called Crohn's disease. Judy joins us today from New Jersey. Judy Walters, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us a bit about your background. I know that you're one of four kids from what I read online. Um, did you grow up in New Jersey? Yes, I live, have lived in New Jersey my entire life, except for the four years I went to college at University of Maryland. Oh. I came back to New Jersey after I graduated, and I met my husband, who is also a lifelong New Jerseyan. <laughs> and we have been in New Jersey ever since. Okay, and you have a couple of kids? We have two daughters. Uh, Our older daughter is 23, and she's a graduate school student. And our younger daughter is a first-year college student. She's 19. Okay. To get right to Crohn's disease, I know that it's an autoimmune condition. Can you tell us a little bit more about it for our listeners who know really nothing about this, its symptoms and its causes? Sure. Well, first I should just say that it actually, there are about a million people in the country with Crohn's. In the Um, U.S. Okay. In the U.S., correct. About half, uh, half a percent of the million suffer with the, uh, one of the parts of Crohn's that I have. So I'll explain Crohn's in general and then explain the specific condition. Okay. So Crohn's is an autoimmune disease, and it affects the entire digestive system. It can affect you anywhere in the digestive system. So most people think of it as something that's only in your colon, mm-hmm. but Crohn's disease can show up in your mouth, your esophagus, your stomach, your upper intestine, your lower intestine. It can show up anywhere. It also has a bunch of, I hate to say complementary, but complementary places Uh in your body can also show up. Mm -hmm. So, for example, joint pain, strange rashes, Hmm. extreme exhaustion, weakness, eye problems. These are all things you can have with Crohn's. So I have all of them, except I don't have the eye problems, which I'm very lucky for um, and happy about. But I do have it in my stomach, and that, that situation, only one-half of percent of all people with Crohn's in this country have it in their stomach. Ugh. So it's unusual to have it there. Hmm. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? I, from what I read, it's, uh, it, it's diagnosed young. It tends to be diagnosed early. Um, I have known people whose children as young as six have been diagnosed with it. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, it's crazy to think of children with this disease. And I know people with it who are diagnosed, you know, much later. I have a friend who was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is Crohn's cousin, 
uh, last year, and she was only 59 at the time, I believe, 58 or 59. So it's a wide range, but yes, mostly from 18 to 35 is when it mostly comes out. I was formally diagnosed at uh, about 32, mm-hmm. so 16 years ago. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm currently 39. Mm-hmm. I mean, 49, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's how young you feel. <laughs> yes, exactly. You really got this thing under control. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it sounds from the way you responded to that question that it took a while to get an accurate diagnosis. Is that correct? Well, it was several things. Mm-hmm. One is that I had symptoms on and off and did not recognize them as symptoms at first. So I remember several things. One is as a child, I was always sick. I had the flu every single year. Hmm. sometimes twice a winter I would get it. And that's not normal, but I didn't know that at the time. I just figured everybody got the flu once a year. Mm-hmm. And then as a college student, I remember having what I now know was a flare-up where I had these crazy stomach problems and then couldn't shake it for a really long time and lost a lot of weight. And then that happened maybe twice. And then I went on to have pretty normal 20s until I was pregnant with my younger daughter. And then I had symptoms come up again and they were fairly late in my pregnancy and my doctors believed they were pregnancy related Mm -hmm. and then once she was born um, over the next few years I had more repeated flare-ups and by the time she was three and my older daughter was six almost seven I was basically in bed almost all the time wow during that time I attempted to find out was what was wrong with me I went to my internist and she immediately said I think you might have Crohn's disease. You need to go to a gastroenterologist. And to this day, I'm so happy she said that because a lot of doctors refuse to kind of guesstimate what you have. Uh-huh. It took me a very long time to get into the specialty uh, gastroenterologist. So first I had to wait months to get my first appointment. Months? And then, yes. Wow. Like I would say it took me four months, three or four months to get in with her. Oh, my gosh. And then she did some blood work and some other kinds of tests and felt like I had something else. And then ultimately I just kept getting sick over and over. And she said, I really think we need to do a colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. And so that took months to set up. And then I finally set it up and did it within about 10 seconds. She said, if starting the colonoscopy, she could see that I had Crohn's disease. So that's when I was finally diagnosed. Oh my gosh. So what was your response to that? Um, I was really relieved to have an answer. Yeah, I'll bet. (laughs) You know, I was like, okay, because right before she put me under, I remember her saying, now, if we don't find anything, I think you should still have a colonoscopy every couple of years. Yeah. And I said, you'd better find something. Don't wake me up. (laughs) (laughs) Don't wake me up. (laughs) Because I was so worn out from just preparing for the colonoscopy and everything I have to do for that. Right. And I'd been sick for months. I was was at that point, I weighed about 88 pounds. Oh, my gosh. um, That I just couldn't take it anymore. So luckily she found Crohn's. And I don't think that I really understood at that time what that would mean for me. Crohn's can be mild in some people where they can just take kind of regular medication and be fine, not even take any medication and be fine. And then periodically have a flare up that's not that often and easy to solve with medications. And it, it runs the gamut up to very severe. So at first I was one of those mild ones where I took one medication several pills a day and did that for a couple of years. But then things got worse and worse and my flare-ups began happening more and more often, which is not uncommon. And I started needing different kinds of medications and then the medications really weren't working that well. My flare-ups were taking longer and longer to resolve. Ultimately, you know, in the last five years, things have gotten much, much worse for me. 
So uh, I ultimately wound up, well, about five years ago, I had a regular colonoscopy and endoscopy. And at that time, that was my first endoscopy. She told me she could see some patches of Crohn's in my stomach, which she explained was very rare. And it made sense to me because I've been having a little bit of stomach pain, which is completely different than the Crohn's symptoms. So previously it was not residing in your stomach, it sounds like you're saying. No. Okay. It can it can start off in your colon and then go other places. Uh, okay. It, um, okay. I've always it. had it in my colon and I've had it in the back of my throat. Wow. And even sometimes I get discomfort in my ears. So it's anywhere in your digestive tract or that's connected to your digestive tract. Hmm. I also had the other things like the weird rashes and the mm-hmm. exhaustion, the fatigue. But when the pain hit my stomach, it was much, much worse and much, much more intense. I so she said, you know, let's see how you do. And I'm not going to prescribe anything different for it, but your Crohn's medication should help. Well, about maybe about three years ago or two and a half years ago, I woke up in agonizing pain that went on for days, no matter what I did. Mm. And so I called her and she immediately said, come to my office. And I did. And she gave me a prescription for Percocet, mm-hmm. which was the first time I'd ever needed pain meds in, in all the years, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, I'll say. And then she said, I think we need to do an endoscopy tomorrow. I don't think we can wait. And when I woke up from the endoscopy, she said, it's covering your stomach. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I have enough specialty to help you anymore. And she put me in contact with a doctor in Philadelphia, which is about an hour, hour and a half from my house. Mm-hmm. who not only specializes in Crohn's and works for a very large, very reputable university hospital, but knows a lot of people in the government studies and also in the pharmaceutical studies. So he would really be able to give me like cutting edge treatment. So mm-hmm. now I go to see him. Oh, that's good. So did you have to undergo any surgery? I have never had surgery, which is amazing. Yeah, I know that some people do choose that as a treatment or go that down that road. The problem with it is it does not fix you forever. All it does is usually what those surgeries are is cutting out parts of your colon Mm -hmm. and putting it back together so that the disease is gone. The problem is the disease will come back somewhere else anyway. Uh So for me, it doesn't make any sense to do it because I'll just have disease in other places because I have in so many places. I talked to my doctor about having surgery for the patches in my stomach, but he said, you know, it's an extremely difficult surgery. The recovery is awful, and ultimately it would just come back in my stomach anyway. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had surgeries. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how? what's an average day like for you? I have tons of questions for you, but let's just kind of start <laughs> with this. <laughs> what's an average day with like? Crohn's, with Crohn's disease, there's no average day. Okay. So I could wake up feeling perfectly fine and by evening be in bed, you know, or afternoon be in bed. Uh-huh. I can have... Unfortunately, last few years, I'm more down and unwell than up and well. Mm-hmm. So I take medications, both injectable and oral, mm-hmm. and um, hope for the best. Unfortunately, and this is the way the medications work, but I take biologics, and I've tried many of them. Biologics, the of biologic, Yes, biologics okay. are a specific kind of medication that is extremely expensive and is only given via shot. So my husband gives me the shot or an infusion. So I might go into the hospital for an afternoon and get the infusion where they infuse you through an IV. And Mm -hmm. the idea is for them to suppress your immune system way, 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 way down. So then you have to be careful about other things. I've been on at least four different biologics and none of them have worked for more than a few months. And the reason why my doctor says is because they all target a different 
part of your immune system. And obviously, they haven't come up with the medication yet that works for my immune system. So ultimately, what happens is I wind up on prednisone, which is a terrible drug to take, even though it does wonderful things for you. Mm -hmm. And that keeps me going. So when I'm on prednisone, I feel pretty well, but I'm not really supposed to be on prednisone forever for the rest of my life. It's terrible for you long term. Mm -hmm. But it's the only thing that's been working in between trying all of these different biologics to see if one will work. So right now, I'm on prednisone and I'm on a biologic and I'm just waiting to see once I'm completely off the prednisone because you have to taper it very slowly. If I'm going to have a flare up, if I am, I'll go back up on prednisone and probably switch my biologic. Mm -hmm. It sounds like I have a friend who had lupus and it sounds a lot like lupus with those flare ups. Yeah. Another autoimmune disease. All of them are pretty much the same. They just attack different parts of your body. Uh huh. So your kids were younger when you were diagnosed. How did they react and how how did your family cope? They were three and six at the time. Mm -hmm. And so they were very young. I remember when I, the day after the colonoscopy, because this is the other thing that happens when I have colonoscopy. Most people have colonoscopies and the first thing they want to do is eat. Afterwards, I have colonoscopy and they put me into a flare-up. So I feel very sick for a long time after Mm. I have one, you know, a week or two usually. So I remember my six-year-old, the day after my colonoscopy, mentioning to me, oh my, mommy, you're up today. So for her, it was a really big deal because she had seen me lying down so much and that Mm -hmm. really struck me Hmm. but we didn't try to explain it to them you know they always knew mommy had this sickness called Crohn's and over the years we've answered their questions as they've come up I call it mothering from the bed Uh um, meaning that they have to come in and talk to me and we deal with their problems with me on the bed Mm -hmm. I try very hard not to miss things even if I'm feeling really sick I will go and do whatever their activity is Um, I try very hard to be as aware for them as possible, but I know it's been hard on them, especially as they've gotten older, to see me sick, to see me in great pain, to see me in bed, to see me losing weight at times. So I know it's taken a toll on them, and I feel really bad about that. They've helped you, no doubt, right? Did you welcome Um, them? I've tried very hard not to allow them to be careful givers because that's not their job their uh-huh. job is not to take care of me mm-hmm. my job is to take care of them my husband is a fabulous caregiver and he does all the heavy lifting and he's very patient with me during my flare-ups but mm. the girls you know occasionally I might ask them to bring me a drink or my medication if I'm so sick that I can't get out of bed but I try very hard not to allow them to be caretakers mm-hmm. are they nearby and you got the one in grad school are they in the state at least um, my my younger daughter is at college seven hours away, and my older daughter is at college close as at graduate school close by. But next year she's going to be moving far away after she finishes her graduate degree. So pretty much, no, they don't really live or won't live that close. You're gonna miss them. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so what's the hardest part about having Crohn's disease? Do you think of yourself as sick? Um, see, that's a great question. At times, yes. When I go to the doctor and he sits there and lays out the likelihood that I'm ever going to really be in a true remission for any period of time is very, very, very low for me. And Mm -hmm. the reason why it's low for me is because I've had the disease for so many years and I've tried so many different medications Mm -hmm. that it lowers with every try you make. Then I feel sick and I I get upset. But I don't like to think of myself as a sick person. I try not to think of myself as a sick person, and I live my life not like a sick person. Like, yeah, you know, I do have definite 
struggles throughout the day or sometimes it's worse than others. But I'm a writer, so I think of myself as a writer. I'm a mother, so I think of myself as a mother. I'm a wife, so I think of myself as a wife. I'm a friend. Those are the things that I think of myself as. That's wonderful. Have you ever joined a support group or gone into therapy? Has that helped you if you have? You know what? I am the type of person who has joined support groups for other things, but never for Crohn's. And I really have like huh. no desire, and I don't know why that huh. is. And how have your siblings reacted to this? I've tried really hard not to let my family know how sick I am. I guess after this, they might think differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but why? I know they feel... I know they feel awful. Why haven't I told them? I don't want to burden them. You know, Uh this is a complicated illness. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Like, if I told them every time I felt sick, I might as well just play a recording and and record it and make them (laughs) listen to me saying, I feel sick again. You know, I I don't want them to worry that much. Uh, My parents are still living. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, it's hard for them. Um, The Crohn's disease actually came from my mother's side of the family. Her sister has it. Oh, okay. So, Hmm. yeah, it is a genetic illness. So I, I try not to burden them. I will, like with my one sister, say occasionally how bad I feel or how hard it was for me that day or how whatever. And then um, I have occasionally, maybe once a year, I'll write a Crohn's update and email it out and let them know what's going on. And, and I know they feel bad for me, and I also think they know I don't want to burden them with it. Huh. Have any of them participated in your care or at any point? No. And why is that? Well, two of them live very far away. Uh-huh. So it would okay. not be possible. Yeah. And the other one, she has such a busy life, I would never expect her to take off from her life to help me. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the time. She has children herself. She works a full-time job. She's in school. She's doing plenty. She doesn't need to worry about me. You sound like a really strong person, but you also have a great husband, which is really awesome. Oh, he's fabulous. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like it. So Right, he is. So you alluded earlier to the cost. Um, how has the financial cost of Crohn's disease been it's for been you? It's been horrible. I mean, quite frankly, my husband works for a small company where the medical insurance is not great. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have very large deductibles that we have to meet mm-hmm. before we get any help from the insurance company. And then the insurance health is better than just paying the deductibles, but we spend probably at least $10,000 a year of our own money before insurance kicks in. Wow. Um, it's been very expensive. Just one doctor's appointment is like $260 yeah. for a basic appointment, and I have to pay that every eight weeks. The biologic I'm on right now, we're in a special payment program that the drug company is running and my insurance accepts, so it keeps the co-pays on my drugs very, very low. But I have other medications that I have to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had infusions, and they are very, very expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I've had to have iron infusions besides medication infusions because I'm chronically anemic, which is very typical of Crohn's. They are very, very expensive. To have anything when you're doing an infusion is expensive. Last fall, when I had started this new medication, that was it started out as an infusion, and then it's a, a shot from now on. The infusion for the one day, for the one hour, was one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. <gasps> oh um, my gosh! Yeah, people don't realize. Fortunately, I had already met the ten thousand dollar deductible limit mm-hmm. for the year, so it was all covered. But in the beginning of the year, I'm just deluged with medical bills until I reach my limits. Oh, my gosh. Have you had fights with insurance companies? 
when do I not have fights with insurance companies? <laughs> wow. I would say it's a, it's a weekly fight. Sometimes I record the, my Facebook page. I'll say, well, it just, I just spent an hour trying to get this one thing resolved. Trying to get my shot has to go through a specialty pharmacy um, that's extremely difficult to work with. They are always losing the paperwork or making me start over, having to get a pre-authorization number for my insurance company, or not talking to my insurance company or every single time. What a so mess. It, it takes me, yes. And so this particular shot is every eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So every eight weeks I take it and then I give myself a week off set for seven weeks or six weeks. And then I start fighting the insurance company and the pharmacy again because it'll take me another six weeks to get the medication back. Oh my gosh. Has your husband uh, had to leave work for any for periods of time to, to care for you or take oh. you to appointments? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I go into the city every eight weeks and he comes with me to all of those appointments because it's, it's a long drive in. York. No, Philadelphia. Oh, uh, into Philadelphia. Okay. Actually. Okay. Yeah. And it, Philadelphia is not as easy a city to navigate as New York if you're not familiar with it. So he comes, right. one, because he's a much better navigator than I am, but two, so he can listen to everything the doctor's saying. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it together. Mm-hmm. And then he's come with me to not all of my infusions, but many of my infusions. And that all takes up time. Yeah. Is his employer understanding of that? Very, very. Good. Fortunately, his employer, you know, understands about my illness. It's a very small company. He has three bosses, and they've all kind of dealt with illness within their family, so they're familiar with it. So I don't think they've ever said to him, you can't go. Or, You know, he is also in a business where he can work by being on the phone. He brings his computer with him and can work. Mm -hmm. So he's not really missing that much time. It's just physically being in the office. And I try not to have him stay home with me if I'm really sick. He he goes to work. I'm fine. He knows he knows I'll call him if I if I need him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is this for people who don't know? Is this a disease that is fatal? What is the prognosis okay, for you? Okay, so Crohn's is not fatal, but it's also not curable. Crohn's itself is not fatal, but you can get other illnesses that can be fatal. So, for example, I'm not going to die from Crohn's disease necessarily, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I'm very susceptible, for example, to pneumonia. Sure. That's a disease you can die from. Or the flu, that's a disease you can die from because my immune system is so low, Mm -hmm. I could pick up a whole host of illnesses that could kill me. Crohn's generally doesn't, but I have heard of people who've died from it. Does that scare you? It really doesn't because I think it's really rare. Uh And it it is kind of what it is. Yeah. (laughs) It's almost like I don't have time to really think about that. Have you ever thought about moving to a warmer climate? Yes, all the time. Uh-huh. I'm always telling my uh, winters are very difficult for me. Yeah. Um, I'm always telling my husband, I can't do this. Don't make me do this another winter. <laughs> Every winter I say that. Our goal is ultimately to move to Florida, but I don't see that happening for many, many years. Uh, my parents are, like I said, still living here. My sister and her husband and her kids, who I adore, are living here. Mm-hmm. Several members of my husband's family are still living here. And my friends are here, so yeah. and my husband needs to work. <laughs> yeah. So I don't see us doing it, and we're not really of retirement age yet, but I do see it in the future happening. Well, Judy, how do you think you've changed as a result of having Crohn's disease? I think I've become much more understanding of other people mm-hmm. and other people's problems and struggles, and I can relate to people who struggle more. So I'd like to think that I've become more compassionate from it. Other people might disagree and say, I'm not, no. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel there's been change. Mm -hmm. I've also really changed in terms of I used to be terribly afraid of anything to do with needles. I'm like the needle queen now. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, don't go overboard. Right, the, right. The, the needle queen. I like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you write a lot of essays, and we're going to get to your book in a in a minute. But the one that I I read that I approached you afterwards about, and you wrote, "I'm usually the patient." And you try hard not to whine, et cetera, but you wrote, but today I'm the caregiver. In fact, over the next few weeks, I'll be the caregiver several times. Tell me about mm-hmm. that, who you're caring for, and how that role re- reversal um, changed your perspective on caregiving. Well, my husband uh, had to have cataract surgery, and he will have another cataract surgery next week for the other eye. And oh he's been struggling with this eye for a long time. He had a surgery last year for it. So it helps put into perspective for me and reminds me that caregiving is not easy. You do a lot of work behind the scenes. It's not so much fun. And you need to be very, very patient with the person. And you need to be, you know, right there taking care of their needs. And so it's good for me to be the caregiver once in a while because it helps me to understand the other side. Mm-hmm. Cataracts is, it's not a demanding surgery, but the after, the drops and everything are it's really drop, a pain. I can't get over the drop. Yeah, they I know my mom had it. My mom had... Yeah, they had to, have to do drops for like a week before and then a week after. Right. And then there's the surgery itself and then post-operative visits. So, yeah, he's... you don't realize how much is involved in it. And he's doing it in both eyes. Yes. Wow. And you really do need that surgery at a certain point because you just can't see. For, for him, it's a little different because okay. most people are older when they have it. Right. If someone in their 60s or 70s or 80s, mm-hmm. my husband is only 56. Mm-hmm. He has specifically has an eye condition that made the cataracts kind of grow faster and worse. And they and it also runs in his family. So we're, we weren't really surprised when this came up. I see. So what do you want people to know about Crohn's disease before we move on to your book? Um, I would just love people to know that it's a very difficult disease to manage. We don't look sick from the outside. So when you tell us, but you look really good, mm-hmm. you're not really right. That's not helpful because we feel awful inside. Or if you, they say, oh, but your voice is so chipper. Again, your voice can sound chipper and you can feel awful inside. So it's not a disease you can see. It's just a disease that's inside. So your friend with Crohn's may be having an awful day and you may not even know it. And so what should folks say? I mean, how, you know, people are often so often at a loss for how to interact with anyone who has a disease of any kind. Right. Well, I think you have to kind of figure out the person's personality. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people like to talk a lot about their illness and may want to go into details about it that you may feel uncomfortable about. And then you can just say, I don't feel so comfortable hearing about that. Mm -hmm. Or they may go into details in which you don't know how to respond. So you can say, I don't really know how to respond to that. I feel awful you're going through that. Other people are more like me. I don't really like getting into the details with it with other people. Mm-hmm. So if someone asks me a lot of questions about it, I sometimes I'll just sort of say it's too complicated to explain or I don't want to talk about that or it's not like that. People have a lot of misnomers about Crohn's, so I'm really happy if someone tells me something that they think about Crohn's that's clearly wrong to be able to correct them, to inform them of the Hmm. of what's really true and what's not. Mm -hmm. What a great service you're doing for them, too. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I'm sure. So your new book, A Million Ordinary Days, came out recently. Five novels. How do you find time to write? (laughs) And That's my job. Kids, Crohn's, caregiving, good for you. I mean, that's incredible. Well, you know, until my kids left for college, I worked only when they were in school. And I have to, I know this, so everybody has different ways that they write, and I can only write in a, quiet house 
Generally, I need the house to be empty, although I have done it sometimes when there are other people in the house. And I work at my kitchen table. So my daughter would leave for school at whatever time, and by 8 or 8.30, I would be sitting down and working. Now that they're out of the house completely, same thing. I get up, I'll watch the news, and then by like 8.30, I'm working. So that's how I write my books. I'm not currently caregiving for my children right now because they don't live at home. Mm -hmm. When they're at home, I'm very happy to cut back a little bit on my writing and spend time with them and do things with them. So it's just a routine for me. Yeah. How do you how do you balance your energy? Are there times, though, when you feel like uh, that? And how long do you write for given your? Yeah, I I don't. There are times when I can't write where I'm too sick. Yeah. The days I'm too sick. I'm frustrated and annoyed because I might be at a plot point in a novel that I'm uh-huh. very excited about and want to continue, <laughs> but it's going to have to wait. But on the other hand, I'm usually too sick to even really care about anything. That's the other way I know I'm really sick. If I just don't care about anything. If the world's on fire, I really don't care. If whatever. So when I'm writing normally, I have give myself a word count limit every day oh, for my okay. novels mm-hmm. that I don't get out of my seat until the word count limit's done. And that's how I get my novels done. Mm-hmm. And then I also write articles and essays for various publications. So part of my, my morning is spent doing that. I know I'm also someone who needs to rest, which is common with Crohn's. Mm-hmm. So I generally do my work in the mornings. And occasionally afternoons, I'll, uh, you know, I'll write follow-up emails and things like that, but I won't do anything that is heavy lifting mentally and really just try to read or watch TV or enjoy lunch out with a friend or sit on my porch or go for a walk mm-hmm. so that it, I'm not working full-time, really. Mm-hmm. Did it take you a while to get that calculation right, that rhythm right, that, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So give us a snapshot of the central character in the book. It sounds like it's based in part on what you observed growing up in your grandmother who had MS. Well, uh, yes and no. Okay. My grandmother, my mother's mother had MS, and I had never known her without MS because she uh, was diagnosed when my mother was 10, Mm -hmm. and my mother had me when she was 23. So, of course, by the time she was 23, my grandmother's MS had progressed dramatically, At the time my grandmother was diagnosed, it was basically a death sentence. It was basically, you know, you're waiting to die because there's no treatment. Mm -hmm. Today, there are many, many more treatments. There's much, much more hope. I have several friends who have MS Hmm. who live completely normal lives. With my grandmother, my memories of her are that she could not speak at all. So when she laughed, no sound came out. She was on the couch all the time. We visited every Sunday for dinner and she and for the afternoon. We'd go for the afternoon and dinner. She she was always on the couch or in her wheelchair, which my grandfather would wheel to the dining room table after he made dinner for us. And that was for several years. And then she got really sick and she was on the couch all the time and not even getting up. And then the last couple of years she was in and out of the hospital constantly and then she died when I was in fifth grade and I was ten. Wow. What do you remember about your mother's caring of your grandmother? My grandfather was really her ma- main caretaker, but my mother describes a picture of essentially taking care of her as a teen. When my mother was throughout her whole, all of her teen years, she was my grandmother's main caretaker. And into her 20s, when she had four young children of her own and was going to college for her degree, she was still spending a lot of time caretaking for my grandmother. In addition, at the time that my grandmother was diagnosed, my mother had a younger sister who was two. And so there was no one to take care of her besides my mother. So my mother wound up in a lot of ways, not only taking care of my grandmother, but raising her younger sister until my mother got married at 18 and left the house. Even when she got married and left the house, she was still going over frequently. We lived just the next town over and taking care of my grandmother and taking care of my grandfather, taking care of my grandmother. And then ultimately my grandfather 
got cancer my grandmother's last year or two of life. And so my mother was kind of doing both for a while, and then they died about eight months apart. Wow. And how is your mother's health? Getting off the book for just a second. How is your mom's health? My be- mother's health? Yeah. Oh, she's in fabulous condition. Wow. My parents are both in excellent condition. And when I tell anybody, they're, I say, frankly, they're in better condition than I am. Uh-huh. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you also don't want to burden your parents with your illness? Because your mother spent so much time you know, caring for others? I think it's really hard for my mother to imagine me having such a serious illness because I think she was very haunted by her mother's illness. Mm -hmm. And it's a very complicated illness to to explain, Mm -hmm. to try to describe. So, you know, those things go into it too. And I'm also an extremely private person, Mm -hmm. personally. I'm Mm -hmm. very, very private. And so I share everything with my husband and then some things with my friends. But generally, a lot of my life is is inside my head. Yeah. Well, really you're awkward. a writer too. So yeah. That makes yeah. that makes sense. Um and how old are your parents? My parents are 72 and 75. Okay, I'm so glad to hear they're in good health. So oh, both amazing. That's awesome. So set up the book for us. Tell us a little okay. bit about what so it's about. So my main character's name is Allison Wheeler. Mm-hmm. And she has had multiple sclerosis for many years. She was diagnosed when her older daughter was five and her older daughter is now, I guess, about 25, so 20 years. And it's been very hard for her. She is a very active person and she had a very demanding career that she loved as a physical therapist, mm-hmm. which ultimately she had to give up because she was too unwell to be a physical therapist. So she changed her career and became a social worker for pregnant teenagers and did that career with the same kinds of fierce intensity as she had her last career and found it just as satisfying. So she was able to find a career that worked around her illness for the most part. But over the last few years, now her children are 25 and 17 and she has two girls She's definitely been having some real rough patches. Her illness is really not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. She's being hospitalized more often. Um, she is in bed more often. She's making more mistakes because cognitively MS can affect you pretty mm-hmm. strongly. So she's struggling with that. But she's trying to hold it all together. She insists on raising her daughter. She is divorced. She insists on going to work every single day no matter how badly she feels. And she relies on no one. And her family, including her ex-husband, with whom she has a pretty good relationship, all want to help her and help her to understand that her health is deteriorating to the point that she does need to lean on them more and to make some concessions in her life. And she's extremely resistant until a series of events that forces her to really examine everything. And how old is this character in the book? She's 53. And how old are you again? I'm 49. Okay. And these MS, like Crohn's, is also an autoimmune condition. Is that right? It is. And right. I wanted to, yes. I, mm-hmm. I felt like Crohn's, you know, I don't think people really want to hear a story of someone going to the bathroom a lot or right. <laughs> anything like that. MS, and MS is a much more widely known illness. Mm-hmm. And I have, like I said, several friends with it in different stages of it. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to write about a, a character who has a chronic illness, like mine, but that's not my chronic illness. And Mm -hmm. while there are parts of my life that inform the book, the character is not me. I'm always asked if my characters are me or my (laughs) family members or friends. My character is not me. Allison and I are not really the same. We're the same in some ways, but not in a lot of other ways. Uh So Allison is just someone I made up who has this disease and who's forced to make drastic changes in her life in order to 
preserve her life. Okay, we're speaking with Judy Mullen Walter. She's the author of five books, and we're talking about her new book called A Million Ordinary Days. Judy, was this a hard book to write? No, it really wasn't. I kind of knew where I wanted to go. I'm what's called a pantser, which is someone who writes by the seat of her pants. <laughs> a pantser? Outline, I love that. Out, right. <laughs> well, because we have outliners, and the outliners uh-huh. will outline every little detail, or mm-hmm. at least some of them, and have something to go by and how the book is going to flesh out. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I just sit down, and I start writing, and I am very surprised often about where my characters take me. Hmm. So I, I pretty much knew, you know, I wanted to write a book about a woman with multiple sclerosis. I wanted her to have kids. I wanted her to have a career. And that's basically all I knew. And then I just sat down and wrote it. Wow. Have you always been a pantser? <laughs> I have always been a pantser. I am forever a loyal pantser. I'm writing <laughs> a book right now completely by the seat of my pants. I wish I were an outliner because my friends who are outliners have a much easier time in editing, in the editing stage, because they're outliners, and uh, I wish I could be that way. I tried it once. I really didn't like it, Mm -hmm. and so I'm just going to have to live with myself as a pantser. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so cute. So does it take you longer to finish a book now than it did when you started? You mean because of Crohn's? Yeah, because of the Crohn's. Has it, has it slowed you down no, in terms no, of completion? Because I've had, no, I've had Crohn's longer than I've been writing books. Oh, okay. Right, you worked in publishing, and I think, before this, right? I think I read that. I did, but yeah. a long, t- long, long time ago, when I was very young, uh-huh. when I graduated from college, I worked in publishing until my younger daughter was born. I knew when I was pregnant with her that I was already having trouble going into New York ha- each day having one child. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine doing it with the two. It was just too complicated. So I stayed home and did lots of other voluntary, you know, PTO-ish type things for a long time mm-hmm. and then gradually got my writing uh, career going. And what do you want readers to take away from this book? Um, I really, first of all, I just hope they enjoy the story for the fact that the story is a good story to follow. But I also would love for them to think about the people in their lives who have chronic illness, who struggle, and who may not always share their struggles with them, and also be aware if they're caretakers, how they can help their friends, but also if they have a chronic illness, feel understood and reached out to, and know that they are not alone and that other people understand their struggles. Great. And uh, Judy, I want to give you an opportunity to offer any last thoughts and tell us where listeners can find you online. Okay, so my website is judymolenwalters.com, and they can also find me on my Facebook page, my uh, my author page, which is, I don't know if I'm Judy Mullen Walters or just Judy Walters on there. <laughs> I uh, share all kinds of things on my Facebook page, uh, and I love when people join the author page and get to see what's going on, because that's where I share a lot about my uh, writing and how it's going and my publishing and how that's going. Um, they can just look me up, you know, Google me, and they'll be able to find me. Okay. Any last thoughts? Just that um, on A Million Ordinary Days, I also want to emphasize that it's really just a good story. And so people who feel like, well, I might not like it because I'm not a caregiver, nor am I someone with an illness, that's not true. Because Allison is uh, mom and ex-wife, like so many of us are, and she is a career woman. And all of those things make her relatable to all different kinds of people. Judy Mullen Walters, her new novel is called A Million Ordinary Days. It's available on Amazon in paperback 
and Kindle. We'll have a link on the AgeWise website to Judy's book, Facebook page, and her website, and some great links to articles she's written. Judy, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your story. And keep up the great work. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. I had a great time. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. The AgeWise podcast is produced and mixed by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. You can find us on Twitter at hashtag AgeWisePodcast. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z podcast. And if you're so inclined, go to AgeWise.com and subscribe to the show there or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. I'm Jana Panaritis. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.